saying, ships travel across the ocean. Ships, ships travel far distances. And they carry people. And they also carry supplies and goods. What kind of ship has the skull and crossbones flag? Pirate ship. If you haven't heard my brother Michael do his pirate impression, you need to talk to him about that. All right? Well, you know what? God wants to take you guys. He is also a vessel that carries us, and he wants you to be his holy pirates. Now, the pirates of old, they stole in evil ways. But in the Bible, we are called to steal back from the devil what he's taken. So, these are vessels of honor, and the great vessel of honor, Jesus, wants to carry us. So, you're pottery and pirates, all right? Let me pray for you, and then we're going to break it down on pottery pirates. All right. Father, thank you for these vessels of honor. You're the potter. You have formed uh, these three with a special plan in mind and a unique design. I bless them to be completely filled with the Holy Spirit and then completely poured out um, all over the earth. Lord, I also bless them to be prophetic pirates, um, those who take back from the devil what he's stolen and give to the poor of the earth. Bless them, Lord. Get them ready for their adventure. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, put them in here. We're going to break it down on pottery pirates. Now, we don't have to do it as quiet today because, you know, Phineas likes to do it quiet, and we like to help our brother out. But you can do it louder today, okay? Pottery pirates on three. One, two, three. Pottery pirates! All right, good job. All right, any... Um, Karis is going to give us announcements, but let me uh, just pray before that, and then you can just hand it off to Joseph. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We praise your word, as the Bible says, and we praise your word that's going to come through your vessel, Joseph. We want to thank you ahead of time for the word you have for us. We welcome your word. We welcome You, Holy Spirit, through Joseph's words, use your vessel, Joseph, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, okay, first announcement. Um, Noel actually knows a little more about, but I know some about. So, Noel got us successfully signed up for the activity fair. This is their first time going to Asbury's Activity Fair. And there's, I think, I got an email about it. They said there's 38 community organizations. So that's pretty cool. And um, they will have a table for us. We can set up a tent. So anything that I mention, if you're like, hmm, I'd like to do that, 
please text me because it's this Thursday and we're kind of scrambling a little bit. So they already have a table. If you'd like to be there, it's from 4.30 to 6.30, the actual fair. So if you're like, oh, it'd be so fun to stand at the table for a little while and talk to college students, awesome, please come. Travis will be there, Zion and I will be there, Noel and Leon will be there. Maybe all of us the whole time, we're not really sure. Setup will probably be like an hour before. Um, if you want to bake something for it or make, I don't know, like a little list of things that dwelling is to you to put on the table, whatever you think somebody would care about when they visit a table that talks about dwelling. Um, if you are interested in making food or making an item, please text me and let me know if you're interested in just being there for a while. Just text me and let me know. We can have as many uh, or as few people as we want. Noelle is going to make chocolate chip cookies, so the chocolate chip cookies are covered. Um, any questions about the activities fair? There's supposed to be like three to 500 students. Um, I, I think it's on the semicircle. I'm pretty sure it's on the semicircle here in front of Glide Crawford. So we could even probably, well, it's Thursday. We could probably park here um, and walk over there. They're going to close down the driving on the semicircle, I think at four. It said in this email I got, I can't remember exactly, but before it starts, they're going to close down the driving for unloading stuff. Okay. Um, next week is the luau. So remember, we won't be meeting here. We'll be meeting at Uncle Tim and Aunt Debbie's at five o'clock. Feel free to invite people. Um, also, let me know what kind of food you'd like to bring so that I know kind of what we still need. Yes, Paul. Uh, whoa! <laughs> um, I didn't think about that. Does that would that be a good idea? We would have to plan for more. Paul asked, should we invite the students who come to the activity fair to the luau? What'd you say, Paul? Okay, Uncle Tim and Aunt Deb, you're gonna text me what they think about that. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, just, just let me know what you think about that. I think, honestly, it'd be unusual for a whole lot of students to show up even if they were invited, because it's the kind of thing that would take sort of a big step of, I want to go look at something random at somebody's, somebody's house that I've never met before. But there might be, you know, like some people who would come. So I don't know. Um, we are going to have five baptisms, possibly six, possibly more. So let me know if you would like to be baptized. And I will add you to our growing list of people who want to be baptized in the Johnson's pool. Um, and just so you know what food we have, so far we've got pork baked beans, and pasta. So don't do one of those things. But let me know what else you would like to make. Um, Uncle Tim and I went through Adventure Serve Things. And Paul, thank you, Paul. Did you, I don't know how you managed to get it. You what? Okay. He wrestled that giant baptismal trough we used to have down the stairs. They, they carried it all the way upstairs in King Hall, and then they had to carry it down. Anyway, so that's been taken care of. We do have a white, tall white shelf, a wooden rustic white shelf, if anybody would like that. 
If not, it will be donated. And then we also have an A-frame sign, which we may or may not be able to use here. Also, a small tent showed up. They say it's ours. So if anybody would like a small tent, please let me know and you may. Probably. Do you want it, Megan? Okay. And a lawn chair. Um, the other stuff I don't think anybody wants. I took a picture of it and sent it to you all, though, so you had your chance. You, you can let me know if you do want it. It's not donated yet. Um, okay, child care stuff. So, next, on, so September, not next week, um, the first week in September, so in two weeks, we will, I will have all the bags put together for the kids, uh, fifth grade and under. And kid care will be starting. I'm calling it kid care. It's not like really a brilliant name, but I think it, it's very fitting and we'll remember it, okay? So kid care will, we're gonna start out trying second grade and younger, which means like Zion and Cohen will be in here and babies will be allowed back there. Now, we will have to kind of work with, okay, like if all parents want all of their babies to go back, then what? Is two people going to be enough? I also thought that it'd be a good possibility to let one of the older kids also volunteer with the two adults. I know Cohen loves babies, for example, and he's very good at holding them, and Zion's very good at playing with them, and others might want to help as well. So that might be another option as like helpers back there. This is sort of influx, but I think it's going to be really valuable, especially for guests when they come, to be able to have that available to them each week. Um, okay, and I asked Uncle Tim today, and he's going to kind of look into this to see if there's any way we can make it possible to hear the message while you're back there, which would enhance our experience. <laughs> I remember helping in nursery growing up, and we could always hear the message back in our nursery room, which I always thought was really cool. Um, and let me know, I could use a couple more volunteers for that. So if you want to be on staff once a month, once every other month, then I shall add you to the rotation. Um, home churches, we still got our two home churches. Nobody thus far has said that they would like to start a new one, but if you would, please let me know. Um, and Zoe was born. I think you all got that text. <laughs> so hallelujah. <laughs> um, she's doing well. Gloria's doing well. Um, John Edward was here, but he's gone. Okay. Um, but please go ahead and sign up for that meal train for them too. We, it looks like we've got the first week covered, which is great. That was a lot of announcements. Thanks for bearing with me. Anybody else have some that I might have missed? Okay. Oh, sorry. Joseph, it is your turn. Well, uh, let me pray. Thank you for your prayer earlier, Travis. Uh, Father in heaven, we're just so thankful to be here with you, with each other. God, we're just so honored at all you do for us, all you've done for us. God, most of all, that you sent your son, and you opened the way, and you sent your Holy Spirit to be with us. God, just thank you so much for the honor and the privilege of being stewards of your presence here together as a group and each day 
wherever you send us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, it's so great to be able to share with you all. And uh, I just like think about how much, you know, uh, you know, of course you all, like how much I've gotten to know, Jen and I and the boys have gotten to know so many of you, or really all of you, so much better over the last like couple of years since we've been a part of the fellowship. And it's just really, really fun. And I'm just thankful for it. And I recognize this like the blessing that, you know, God's brought here in this place and this family. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I study Bible and Bible is one of the main ways that God has made himself known in this world to his people, uh, the people of Israel and the people, those of us from all the nations of the earth that are brought into the family of Israel through his son. Okay? Bible is one of the main ways. It's not the only way. I don't think it's the main way. I think the main way that God has made himself known is through his son, Jesus. And, of course, the Bible reveals his son to us, but also, one, we, you know, he's revealed through his body. He's revealed through his people. He's revealed through his spirit. And so, uh, as much as I love the Bible, I don't want uh, to, can, there's been a, there's been a kind of a long running, really since the Reformation, uh, I think, how do I say, I don't want to quite say the word error, but imbalance, maybe, in many uh, congregations of elevating the Bible in a way that's unhealthy, that, that sort of edges out some of the other uh, ways that God speaks to us. And so, as much as I love the calling that God's given me, I don't want to, you know, do that. I don't want to continue that imbalance. So, um, but I am definitely going to share from the Bible today. I have, you'll, you see, I have my big, fat Hebrew reader Bible. Part of the reason it's so big is because it has all the notes for the rare words, so I can just look down and, and check them and not have to look them all up. Uh, but I just love reading the Hebrew Bible. It's just a, a delight to me, and it's, a, it's just a fascination. It's just so amazing that that's possible to me. And it just, like, always amazes me. But, uh, and so, and I also think that there's something mysterious and powerful in the Hebrew language. And I don't think that that is because it was the language in the Garden of Eden. I don't think it was the language in the Garden of Eden. I think that's evident from just studying the history of languages, and we can see how it developed from Phoenician and before that, other Semitic languages like Akkadian. I think it's because God chose this people, this people of Israel, whose language was Hebrew. And Hebrew is the same language, basically, as Canaanite, Moabite, Phoenician, and Philistine. Okay, so that's kind of mind-blowing in a way. Because I took an inscriptions class, and we read inscriptions from Moab, in which they're you know, just praising the praises of Chemosh, basically in Hebrew, you know, and I'm like, oh, whoa, that was a, that was kind of a stop and readjust your paradigm moment for me. But it's, it's such a, a myth, what I'm talking about is called the Moabite stone. You can look it up, you can read the, inscri- the translation of the inscription, it'll be easy to find. 
and or the Moabite Stell, S-T-E-L-E. I think it's just one L. And uh, or Stella, it might be the way you're supposed to say it. But uh, even though, of course, it's written from the perspective of this other people who have this other God and who are in opposition to Israel, it says so much about biblical Israel from the same time frame that it actually, it just really, to me, it really strengthened my uh, confidence in God's word, like that along with so many other things, just one thing after another as I study the ancient world where it's like, okay, yeah, this does shift my, some of my assumptions, but really it just like strengthens the, my um, just awareness of the reality of, of the things that are uh, shared in this book. So I'm going to come back around to that, but I wanted to share a little bit about uh, our summer. We were gone for five weeks. And um, before that, we were kind of half gone. We, were, we got to house hit for uh, Paul and Naomi, and that was really fun. And dogs hit, and the boys had a blast with their two big dogs. Uh, so we've been, we were gone a lot. And, um, and when we, one of the things, the big thing we did when we were gone for five weeks is we drove out to Oregon. And I don't know if you, some of you will remember, we did the same thing a year and a half ago in the winter. So this is our second trip, road trip to Oregon in less than two years. And uh, I was thinking about it, you know, like, uh, what would, okay, so for me it's easy. Like I just, you know, I was a truck driver. I'm gonna try to fix this cord. I was a truck driver. My family grew up doing road trips. I love traveling. Like, it's not hard for me. Like, you want to go drive, travel somewhere? Absolutely. I'm in. But for my wife, it's, mm, no, she was not, she's not generally the one to want to do something like that. And so, but what's the one thing that would lead my wife to endure those hours on the road, those nights sleeping in the car as we drive, or whatever other difficulties we faced? What is it? Yeah, but does anybody, Jen, what is it? That's awesome. I didn't know that. Thank you. Well, if we go back to the first time we did it, what was the really the reason you wanted to do it? Yeah. No, no, no. Just simple. Like, yeah, to see your family. Right? And I think even this time, I mean, if, if, if you did that, if you went, went under that, all that for me, then, wow, praise God, we're a family. Right? <laughs> but I think it's also to see your family. Like, all, our, all of Jen's family is in Oregon, most of, well, about half of my family is in Oregon, and the rest is kind of on their way back. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll endure a lot for your family. And um, so we, we got to, uh, you know, along the way, we, we stopped and saw some friends. Uh, the first friends we saw live in southern Missouri now. We know them from Oregon, Aaron and Crystal Stevens and their five kids. They're just a wonderful, amazing family that we love. And just reestablishing those connections, those bonds with them, 
Then we stopped and saw a friend, uh, Rebecca and John Wright, who live in Texas now. We know them from Oregon, but she came and stayed with us in Texas while we were there. And they went to Todd White School in um, Arlington, she and her husband both. The same, they were both in the first class of Todd White School back, I think it was like 2018, something like that. Huh? Yeah, something like that. 2018, maybe. And it might have been 2019. And... Um, and then we, we stopped and saw some friends that just moved from here out to Idaho, near Boise, uh, the Wells, Nathan and uh, Libby Wells and their four kids. And uh, the boys are really good friends, so that was really fun to see them. And, um, and then get back out to Oregon, and we're able to be there for uh, close to a month in Oregon. And um, it was really like the best visit we've had since we've left in a lot of ways, um, mainly just with, with Jen's family and then with our old church, Kairos. Our church is called Kairos. We were in the team that helped found the church uh, back, I don't remember when, I guess Zeke Cohen was one, I think. Yeah, he was a baby. And, uh, and it, was a really, it was a really sweet time. Uh, had the opportunity, we had the opportunity to share a little bit about the outpouring at Asbury this spring and, and also a little bit to share about what, where God's bringing me, what he's doing in my life in terms of calling and studying the scriptures. I was able to share a, an insight from Hebrew with them that the Lord had given me about um, the priesthood. So the, uh, when, when God's giving Moses the instructions for uh, consecrating the, his brother and his nephews, he uh, he says he tells Moses to clothe them, and it uses these two Hebrew words or phrases. Uh, I think it's letifaret ulekavod. For tifaret is either beauty or splendor, and kavod is glory or honor. And so he's supposed to clothe the priests for splendor and for honor. So anyway, I shared some about that, and it's just there's so much that can unfold from that in terms of Jesus as our high priest and in terms of all of us being called to be priests and kings, you know. Uh, it, and so uh, it was a time of, of reestablishing those connections, of rebuilding, of recognizing what God had done, going and spending time and being together to to strengthen those ties and to reestablish those ties. So the uh, part of the Bible that um, I've been reading through lately in Hebrew is Exodus. And uh, it's just, it already was one of my favorite books and it's, it's edging its way up even more. I just really love the book of Exodus. And I actually think that I've been having this kind of realization over the past several years, really, like, uh, you know, five to ten years maybe, that there's been a really a ton of emphasis in our circles in the Protestant world on the creation account. Uh, it just seems to me like, and, and going through seminary, we, of course, you read a lot of theological books and, and just hearing a lot of sermons. It just seems to me that it's so, it's become so, it's so con- like frequent that I'll hear a preacher or an author go back to Genesis 1 through 3 as like a template and a basis for 
understanding whatever it is they're talking about or you know whatever the point is and uh, I certainly don't want to uh, to stop that but I think that when I look at when I look at the Old Testament I don't actually think that I don't know this is sound strange, but I don't actually think that the creation account, Genesis 1 through 3 or Genesis 1 through 11, the, the, um, pre, the pre-flood and flood narratives, I don't see that as like the foundation on which the house is built. I see it as like almost like a prelude, theological prelude. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's absolutely scripture. It's God's word, okay? But I don't see it as like the, the foundation, okay? If anything, I think the foundation is the book of Exodus, now, you also have the, sec- the, the last two-thirds of Genesis when God calls Abraham and makes his covenant with Abraham. That's, that's, so I kind of like the way that I think of it now is like Genesis 1 through 11 is the prelude. Genesis 12 through, what is it, 30, I can't remember, four, how many, however many chapters, is like the introduction, and then there's Exodus, and now we're getting started, Okay. Now, that's me. I mean, and that's like, but I have reasons for that. And if you look, think about the book of Exodus, like what happens in the book of Exodus, okay? Uh, it starts out with the people in bondage in Egypt, slaves, uh, forced labor, under forced labor under the Pharaoh. It's really interesting, and I think it's Exodus 1.8. It says, a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. Uh, I was a couple years back, we're my first semester here at, at Asbury, uh, almost at the Kings, which is the school I went to before. My first semester here at Asbury, I wrote a paper on Exodus for my OT class. And uh, I read the JPS commentary. JPS is Jewish Publication Society, I think so. Anyway, it's a really important, like great publisher in, in the Jewish world. And uh, their commentary on Exodus and the, the author I think it's Nahum Sarna, S-A-R-N-A. He talk, he, on this verse, he has a note, and he says, this word no, yada, in Hebrew, is a very important theological word in the book of Exodus. It's not just talking about intellectual knowledge. It's talking about relationship. So when you say he didn't know Joseph, it doesn't necessarily mean he didn't know about Joseph. Or he might have even known him in terms of like them being, well, I guess it was, was after Joseph had died. But it doesn't mean he didn't know about Joseph. It meant that he had no relationship with Joseph or with Joseph's family. So unlike the Pharaoh that Joseph served in Genesis, you know, uh, things had changed. There wasn't that connection, that relationship there anymore between the leadership of Egypt and the people of Israel. So, uh, so yeah, so you start with the people in bondage, then you have this, you know, amazing story of Moses' birth, his uh, rescue from death on the Nile, and uh, he's raised up. God raises up a deliverer. And so you, the first 15 chapters of Exodus are all about the deliverance from Egypt. Okay, so the, the plagues, the signs, and, and throughout this section... There's this, this is what I wrote my paper about, or one of my papers about that year, is there's this repeated phrase, I'm doing this so that you will know that I am Yahweh. Uh, the first one is in, actually before I get into that, 
just kind of close the loop. I was talking about what's Exodus about. I, th- I see Exodus as kind of having three main points or three main kind of features. The, ex- the deliverance from Egypt and the Exodus is one. And then number two, what comes out? What's the next, like right in the middle of Exodus, somebody? The wilderness, but what happens in the wilderness? And right before Exodus 20 and Exodus 19, the revelation at Sinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's the heart, right there in the middle. And right after Exodus 20, you have Exodus 21 through 24, which is called in like the traditional word term for that section is called the covenant code. Uh, and it's the first uh, substantial collection of legal material in the Bible. It's in the tradition or in, you know, the same genre as the Law Code of Hammurabi, which was written uh, at least 400 years before. So there's this, anyway, so that's that. That's number two. So number one, deliverance from Egypt and, uh, and, the ex- and coming out of Egypt. Ex- so like the plagues and the exodus, so deliverance from Egypt. Number two, revelation at Sinai and the giving of the law. Okay, what am I missing? Huh? Yeah, yeah. But not the temple, the tabernacle. The instructions for building the tabernacle. Okay, so like if you're, you know, my son's, I don't know, I think Cohen's read, Cohen, have you read through Exodus? Yeah, well, at least we read through it as a family, right? So Zeke's read through it on his own as well. It's like when I was their age and reading through, like this was the point when I started to get bogged down. <laughs> okay? So, you know, and then in Leviticus, Leviticus, it was all over, right? <laughs> but it's just like, okay, we're reading this. this. is an amazing story. And then it's like, Okay, and these are the measurements for the curtains, and these are the measurements for the boards, and this is how many of them there are, and they're overlaid with copper or bronze, depending on your translation, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, okay, whew, got through it. And then we get, we have the uh, golden calf, and then he goes back up, and then, it, and then he comes back down, and then it's like, and then he, he you know, God called out Bezalel and Aholiab, and they built the tabernacle, and then we start all over again. What? All over again, like, tell me every detail again, like twice, about this tent. And, uh, okay, so it's difficult for us, it's difficult for me as a 12-year-old, it was, as a 12-year-old, it still sometimes is, but, like, God chose to give a lot of attention to this artifact, this collection of artifacts, um, one of the reasons that I think that Exodus is the foundation, is, and I mean, I'm not like, you know, locked in on that, but this is just kind of how it seems to me right now, is that these two themes of, well, really those, all three of those, but the deliverance from Egypt, the giving of the law, and the tabernacle, which later the temple is built in the, you know, to follow up the tabernacle, those are major themes throughout the whole Bible that become like motifs, Old and New Testament, 
that become motifs that are drawn on by all these authors throughout the Bible to talk about what God's doing with his people, what he's done in the past, and what he's going to do in the future. And uh, so I really like Exodus. So going back to, um, oh man, time. Uh, Going back to the... Well, I think I need to move on. Um, let me just read like a couple of those passages. I really love that pa- those passages where he says, "Now you, this is so that they will know that I am the Lord, or that I am Yahweh." So, uh, the first one is in Exodus six seven. Do you all have, like, Bible apps? Yeah? That, can you search on them? Do you search on your Bible app? So if you go to, if you search on your Bible app for no, the word no and the word Lord, and then just look in the book of Exodus or whatever software you use, that'll bring up almost all of these, if not all of them. And then there'll be some others as well. So the first one is Exodus 6-7. And... Um, Give myself and everyone else a moment. This is uh, God speaking to Moses and giving him the outline of what's going to happen. Starting in Exodus 6.6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, and I'm going to say Yahweh for the Lord. My, tr- my translation says the Lord, but I'm going to say Yahweh. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. So, uh, let's see. This one is, you know, he's speaking, he's telling Moses what to say to the people of Israel. He's saying, this is so, I'm doing this so you will know that I am Yahweh. Okay, but surprisingly, most of the cases where this motif occurs of, of God saying, I'm doing this so that fill in the blank will know, it's actually not Moses or the people of Israel. It's actually Pharaoh and the Egyptians in most of the cases. So you have... Uh, Exodus 7, 5, 7, 17, 8, 22, a uh, little variation in 8, 10, 10, 2, 14, 4, and then some similar things in 9, 29, and 11, 7. And uh, let me look at the ones in, in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Uh, Now in verse 17, Moses is uh, 
God's telling Moses what to say to Pharaoh. So he's going to be speaking to Pharaoh. And it says, And you shall say to him, that is to Pharaoh, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says Yahweh, By this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, remember Moses is speaking to Pharaoh, and so he's like saying, Yahweh says, this, thus you will know that I am Yahweh. Now back as Moses, look, with the staff that's in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood, etc. And so um, there's a couple things here. One is that, it, remember I said in, in Exodus 1.8, it says, uh, a pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. Well, in Exodus, uh, I think it's five. Yeah, Exodus five. When Moses first goes to Pharaoh, he says, Moses and Aaron went to said to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. So like that was before all of the, then you will know that I am Yahweh. So I think like one thing that's happening is in the narrative, and this is all, you know, things that you can find without knowing any Hebrew for sure. Like in the narrative, um, there's a response to this. This like, that's like a challenge when Pharaoh says, I don't know Yahweh. You know, who's this Yahweh? And so, on the one hand, there, it is true that God is making his name great in the sense of uh, his fame, his triumph over the other gods. Absolutely. And it's, a, it's an answer to Pharaoh's, to Pharaoh's defiance. But I think that it's really important not to lose the other element, because it's the same Hebrew word, yada. Now, a word can have different connotations in different, absolutely, in different settings. But I think that this, this aspect of yada in terms of relationship never went away. And so I think when God is saying he wants Pharaoh to know, he wants the Egyptians to know, uh, one point, I couldn't find it just now, but at one point it's talking about that the nations would know. Uh, and certainly in Ezekiel, it, it, this, that comes back, that the nations will know that I am Yahweh. It's not just about... Uh, you know, like, I don't know, how do you say it? It's, it's not just um, about them, like, honoring him and recognizing him from a distance. He's, like, he's calling them into relationship. He's inviting into relationship. So the, you know, the other, one of the other themes throughout the plagues narrative is that he says, or, like, the reason that he's telling that God is having Moses tell Pharaoh to let the people go is so that they can go serve him out in the wilderness and celebrate a feast to him. And uh, I was just reading uh, some, in preparation for our homeschool, Zeke's going to be reading Exodus again. And uh, the introduction in his homeschool book was pointing out that if you follow that through, like all through the plagues narrative, he's saying, let, let us go so we can go worship Yahweh and celebrate a feast. And then they get out, and there's no, like, feast, right? There's not. I mean, there's, the, Miriam leads the 
uh, the women in a dance, like singing the triumph. You know, Moses sings his song, but there's no feast. And so his point was, like, that's what this, all this building of, focus on building the tabernacle is about. It's preparation so that they can hold the feast that they're supposed to hold to Yahweh. And so um, now I'm going to shift over. And so I, what I wanted, what I, when I was preparing for this time, I was thinking about, like, how we approach the Bible and how there's, there's certain parts of the Bible that are just, you know, and thank God, like there's so many parts where it's really easy to like see what the main point is and what, and it's so, so amazing, like David and Goliath, like the, so many of the things that happened with Jesus, like Jesus with the woman caught in adultery in John 7, uh, just, just over and over, there's many parts of the Bible, like the Psalms, you know, you can, you can pick out like Psalm 23, Psalm, so many of the Psalms, and they're just like, you can, you can get it. You can, you can get this, you know, chapter length or give or take, and you can get what it's about. You understand something of what God's saying about himself and about the world and his people through it. But then you have these other sections of the Bible that are a little, little harder to, you know, be inspired by. And so I was thinking about how there's kind of like, uh, you could think of it as three different levels of, of looking at scripture. And, and now there's also, there's this tradition of different uh, modes of interpretation, and that's not what I'm talking about. So there's like the historical, the allegorical, the prophetic, that's, that's another thing. But what I'm talking about is more like, uh, the, what I was just talking about is like the, 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 uh, the pericope or the story, the one, you know, chapter, portion of a chapter, the story, okay? Story length, it's manageable, okay? But then you have the other, the two extremes. You have big picture, which you could talk about like canonical narrative, the arc, the whole, the arc of the whole canon. What's the whole Bible about, all right? And then you can also talk about like zooming in close on the details. So I think I touched a little bit on big picture narrative in talking about why I love Exodus so much. So now I want to go a little bit into zooming in. Now you can uh, zoom in to the details of the Bible without knowing Greek or Hebrew. But if you do know them, it's helpful. So, um, and you, you know, there's apps like Blue Letter Bible that make it easy. Like there's a, there's a, uh, a do, who uses Blue Letter, Blue Letter Bible? Do you know what it's called? Like the part where, it, oh, it's interlinear, right? Like there's a, like when you're on a passage, isn't there like a button at the top or something? Tools to go to interlinear. And then that lets you pull up the Strong's number and it pulls up, you know, the main definition, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, several of the, I don't know how many, but I looked at a couple different Bible apps that had some way of doing that. Um, you know, you can read commentaries. There's, you can, one of the biggest, one of the best things to do, I think, is to put, is to grab like three or four, when you're really trying to study a passage. So you grab like three or four different translations and read it in the different translations. Translators are really good. Like they know what they're doing. And if you have two translations that differ, there's a reason for that. And it's either because there's, there's a textual question, like, like there's a difference between the, the Greek, ver anyway, that's way too many details. But usually it's like there's connotations of words and connotations of meanings and some things are kind of ambiguous. And quite often when there's something that's ambiguous, 
It's in the bringing together of the two different senses that, the, that a deeper truth and a deeper understanding can be found. So if you look at, at a few different translations, that can be really great. Um, but the passage I want to look at is right in the middle of the instructions about the tabernacle. And this really jumped out at me recently. It's uh, Exodus 26. And so uh, I'm going to open up my English Bible and to that passage and then go back over to my Hebrew. So in, the, uh, in this section, woo, uh, in chapter 25, it starts out in verse 10 giving instructions for building what's called the ark. I'd probably call it like a chest. Uh, I don't know if there's another word, cabinet maybe, (laughs) a chest. Uh, And then it it gives the instructions for building the table that the bread would be on, and then the lampstand. And then right after that, it goes into the the details of the tabernacle. So if you'll humor me, I'm going to read a little bit in Hebrew. I'm going to pull out my notes here and talk about some things here. So Exodus 26.1. Ve'et ha-mishkan ta'aseh eser yiriot. All right, right off the bat, ve'et ha-mishkan, mishkan. That's the Hebrew word that in our, who, most of our English Bibles is translated tabernacle. If you have an English Bible that has something else, let me know. What is it? Anyone? Exodus 26.1. Huh? Tabernacle. Okay, Mishkan is from the Hebrew root shachan, which means to dwell, to reside, right? To dwell or to reside. A good English translation for this word, in my opinion, would be residence. I just thought of this afternoon, another one might be dwelling, okay? Um, Tabernacle comes through the Latin. I think it's, there's a Latin word meaning tent or something. I just briefly looked at that. You could probably research and find out more on that. It's not wrong. It has to do with the tradition and like talking, describing it about as the tabernacle gives specificity. When we say the tabernacle, there's only one tabernacle, right? Just like there's only one, I was going to say one ark, but really there's two arcs, right? There's the boat and the chest. There's two arcs, one tabernacle. But like these are arcane words that have stuck around because in the tradition it's helpful for us to point out exactly what we're talking about. Okay? So I'm not here to like break down. I want to add to. And what I'd like to just say is this means dwelling or residence. Et hamishkan, the dwelling. So it says, you shall make the dwelling. Ten curtains. Sheish mosh zad, that's twisted linen or woven or like spun woven perhaps. Utechelet, v'argaman, v'tolaat shani. So blue, purple, and scarlet. The blue might be more like violet. And the scarlet, just red. Scarlet is another one of those words. Keruvim. Uh, Maase Choshev Taase Otam. Cherubim or cherubs. Uh, the work of a weaver. That's the best I can do with that one. You are to make them. So these curtains, it says like, you make these curtains cherubs, the work of a weaver. 
That's interesting. I think it means like that cherub, the image of cherubim would be woven through it, you know? Uh, Orech ha'achat shemone ve'esrim ba'ama. The length of one curtain, 18 cubits. V'rochav arba ba'ama. The width, four cubits. Hayiria ha'echat, and that's the first curtain. Mida achat l'chol hayiriot. One measure for all the curtains. So it gives a measurement for the first curtain, and then it says one measurement for all the curtains. Uh, I'm going to skip down a little bit, so I'm just going to skip to, let me think, see here. i got to remind myself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what did I just read? Verse 2. Okay, I'm going to stick over. I'm going to stay with it. Chamesh hayeriot tehyena chovrot. Alright, so this says five of the curtains will be chovrot. Okay, now I gotta stop and talk about this Hebrew word. Chovrot is a noun from the root chavar. And I'm gonna give I'm gonna list off the so you're talking about the curtains and how they're going to be related to each other. This verb, this root chavar means to associate in just its basic sense, to charm, to form a community, to be united, to ally oneself, to be allied with, to march united, to join, to go around with a companion. Uh, in, the, in the particular way it's used in here with the preposition that's next to it, it can mean to be coupled or to touch one another. So this is, is saying, uh, this is a noun talking about this set of curtains that are joined to one another. And then it says, it uses this phrase, isha el achota. All right. So literally, the, if you just break it down word by word, if you look up isha, separate from this context, it means woman. Okay? If you look up achot, separate from this context, it means sister. So this is a, just a way of describing things in Hebrew. I'm not saying that the people who originally wrote the, or the person, God, right, Moses, I'm not saying that in its to its original hearers, that's a safer way to talk about that. I'm not saying that to its original hearers, their first thought would have necessarily been this, this you know, reference to a woman and her sister, but it's there, it's in the language. So in, in the story of, uh, one of the stories of God's covenant with Abraham, it's talking about him dividing the animals and then putting the two birds on each side. And it says each one across from his neighbor, Ish el roe, roehu, I think is how, something like that. Each to its neighbor, or his neighbor. But in this case, it says eat, and it just happens to be a feminine, uh, grammatically feminine word. So it uses isha, woman, instead of ish, man. And it says each to her sister. All right. So uh, I'll read a little in, in English. You shall make loops 
of blue on the edge on the outer, of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. This word they're using for set, again, choveret, from that same root, set of companions, those who are joined together, who are linked together. So you've got five curtains linked together, then you've got another five curtains linked together, and then we hear about the loops that are made, 50 on each set, and maybe it was 25 on each end, because I think they come around, that are joined. And then uh, the loops shall be opposite one another. Uh, let's see here. Just give me a moment. Okay, makbila halulaot isha el achota makbila. So when it says the loops shall be opposite one another, this is this is a participle in Hebrew, op, being opposite each other. Makbila from the root kaval, basic meaning fit, receive, meet, accept, welcome in a friendly way. In the PL, which is, is, I don't need to say PL, in the verbal form that's here, accept or receive, oh no, I'm sorry, that's a, this is a different verbal form. So in one form, it means accept or receive. In the form it's here, in an, like outside of this context, if it's talking about people, it means confront aggressively, confront one another, or be passed through one another, be interlinked. Uh, and then again, it has this phrase, isha el akhota each to her sister. Uh, so, um, when, I, when I read this, some of you probably already kind of get the idea of where I'm going with this, maybe. But when I read this a few weeks ago, it really reminded me of um, Ephesians. <laughs> now, I come back to Ephesians a lot because years ago I memorized Ephesians and meditated on it and so it really got in you know to my heart to my mind at least in my heart and so there's two parts in ephesians that this reminds me of the first part is at the end of ephesians 2 and uh says um you also are being built together into a dwelling place for god by his spirit so talking about the gentiles being brought into the family through Christ, now you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, and um, it talks about them being built together into a dwelling place for God. Mishkan would be Hebrew, but it's Greek. I don't know the Greek for that. And then, oh, I think it was, well, temple is not own, but anyhow. And then the other passage in Hebrews it reminded me of, which was a little, was a little more fresh on my mind, is in Ephesians chapter 4 when it talks about the different gifts, the different ministry gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And it says they're given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, zoom down a little bit to um, 
15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So these two metaphors, or maybe more than metaphors, that Paul uses, the body and the temple, to describe the people of God. And there's overlap in them, because they both talk about being built, they both talk about being joined. And uh, so when I read that passage in Exodus 26 in Hebrew, it like really reminded me of that. And I realized like, oh, there's more to this than I realized. And so I really, so in the, like I said, the language to say each to her sister, it, was a, it would have been like a normal figure of speech. But nevertheless, it was chosen. Right? It was cho- you choose one way of saying something instead of another. And of course, we believe in God's incredible wisdom of how he's woven the scriptures together so that even things that may not have been uh, most evident at the beginning become more evident as more is unveiled. So in, uh, in Hebrews, it talks about how Moses, it talks about the heavenly temple, the heavenly, actually I think heavenly tabernacle where Christ comes in and offers his blood. And it says like these things were given as signs for the heavenly reality. And in, in that, right there in Hebrews, it says for Moses was told to do everything according to the pattern he saw on the mountain. Now, then another passage in the end of the book of Revelation, it's talking about the heavenly city coming down. It says, I saw the city coming down and the city was the bride. Um, when you go through the instructions for the tabernacle, not only is there personal language that seems to make parts of the tabernacle like people who are in relationship with each other, there's also body language. Like one of the pieces is called a shoulder, one is called a rib, one is called a thigh. And so these two pictures are blended, are brought together even more through the language and through the, the words, the way that the words worked and I believe was already there in when this was Phoenician, when it was Akkadian, okay? I mean, I not only believe, I mean, I'm confident of that. And so it's like, man, it, this kind of thing just makes me more in awe of God. But at the same time, I think there's a calling in this that like um, seeing this, it gives a, it helps to give like a greater gravity to our relationships with each other. And it's, it, can put, it should put into us the fear of God and the sense of calling to be attentive to those relationships. Now, it didn't quite get to the end. Let me go back to Exodus. I just remembered this. I love this. Uh, this, this portion goes just through verse 6 of Exodus 26. You shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to another, one to the other. That's the Isha el each to her sister. So that the, tab, so that the Mishkan, so that the dwelling, it says maybe a single whole. In Hebrew, it's just will be one. Let me read it. Let's 
Where is it? It's just three words. Vahaya hamishkan echad. Vahaya hamishkan echad. The dwelling will, so that this vahaya means is like, the for, verb form is like, so that the dwelling will, parenthesis, will be implied one. So this the, talking of weaving together different elements in scripture, the Shema, which is the uh, central statement of faith for the Jewish people to this day, in Exodus in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, Israel, Yahweh, our God, one Yahweh. So we get to fill in the blanks. Is it saying Yahweh our God is one Yahweh? Or is it saying Yahweh our God, Yahweh alone? Because it could mean either one of those. Well, this, even though it comes before Deuteronomy, you know, for the people who were reading this, most through most of the time that it had been written, if not you know, all, like they already knew the Shema. Like they knew the Shema. And so if they're reading this in Hebrew and they come across this, mishkan echad, like to a Jewish person who speaks Hebrew, that you can't help but think of the Shema when you read that because of the conciseness of it and the, the ending point on this word echad. And so God is saying that his people, when we are rightly joined to each other, we remember there's two different groups. There's a group of five over here, a group of five over here. They're joined by the loops. This reminds me of our family in Oregon, our church family in Oregon, our church family here in Texas. It also reminds me of Paul's instructions about the Gentiles being brought into the family of Israel. Two different groups brought together, and there are one. So that's what I had. I was, I was, um, my idea was to have us take a few minutes and um, just get in groups of like three or four and just share our, what's going on in our lives, our needs, and pray, pray with each other. So if we could do that, we could just, you know, go take us a couple minutes past seven. Okay, so let's do that. Let's get in groups of three or four. And this is just about like caring for each other, loving one another, and just building these, this bond with each other.